Welcome back to Coco Card Reading. It's your girl Coco, and I have been reading. I just haven't been recording um, podcast um, episodes. Uh, I've actually had a plan for like six months <laughs> and just never recorded. I I'm one of those people that in the midst of chaos, I'm absolutely still, so I can strategize and observe and figure out how we can like get through it and just you know for the most part that you know this is something that I blow over and it'd be a little while and it's just been a long drawn out catastrophe <laughs> and um but it's our catastrophe is how we handle it and you know going forward I definitely use reading as an escape and I love you know talking about what I read you know and talking about like I want people to geek out over books with me and so that's why I started this podcast in the first place so with this uh episode in particular it is um a uh, interview or conversation I had with um, a fellow podcaster, um, Aaron. Like he's like a new friend. <laughs> he's a new friend now. I um, am totally um, accepted him into my circle. <laughs> he's a great father. He's a great husband. He's um, a great teacher. He's definitely a Baba Rising. Um, he's the um, podcast for the semi-social life of a black introvert he has so many more episodes than me and I just I'm trying to use this this platform to kind of like push me out socially because I really do chill in my head and chill in my books and you know chill and Uh, my music when I make music and my designing and things like that I'm very much a person that enjoys living inside my own reality and so sometimes it's hard to come out and be social but it's something I am working on so I'm hoping that you all enjoy this conversation I had I'm going to leave you know my social media information as well as Aaron Aaron's social media information um I think I'm also going to put the video portion of it on my uh on my YouTube channel as well all right Tell me about, tell me and of course my listeners about you and your podcast because I think your podcast is dope and you have way more episodes than me because I am, I'm the type of, like, I, I get so, I'm like super introverted, like, <laughs> um, super introverted, super self-conscious and uh, so I did, um, so I've been on hiatus since. Well, actually, I recorded the episode for February. I just never put it out. Okay. Nah, so um, my podcast is the Semi-Social Life of a Black Introvert Podcast. And I started it last June. Um, I started it as a way to um, do something creative. I really needed, at that point, I'm in my 30s. I'm in my mid-30s. And so I needed to do something for me. 
And that was like the gateway toward my creativity. And so I started it. I was going to quit for like the first nine weeks I did it. Um, but I stuck to it. And now I'm over a hundred episodes in. Um, we talk a lot about race. I mean, I'm a black man in America. I'm going to talk about race. Uh, I talk a lot about self-help and empowerment and leadership. Um, I would like to think that my podcast is for real people. I'm a real person. I'm not perfect. I'm someone that has purpose and I'm trying to find my purpose in life. And so that's what I use my podcast for. Awesome. Yeah. So I know we've had some dis like discussions of uh, the, uh, the, what inspired, I guess, was the catalyst for this collab was the post I made about uh, educated, yeah. you know, women, you know, giving our hearts and our souls to men that don't have anything but a birth certificate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you know, so, I, go, ahead. go ahead. No, yeah. that's all I was gonna say. It's an interesting topic. It's a, um, it's an interesting topic that has so many layers in terms of the dynamics between black men, black women, even just men and women in general. And so, and, and it's something I've seen. Um, I, I've, I watch a lot of um, smart, intelligent women have woes in dating. And, and I'm not always one to say, you know, you need to date according to your uh, level or status in life. I don't believe in that. You know, I, it, you can be on different sort of levels when it comes to occupations and but you have to be able to connect at the heart and on a spiritual level and i don't necessarily see that as much um i think that when it comes to dating and our values and the things we value men are are taught one value women are taught another value and so that leads to conflict when it comes to dating and relationships and, and really it extends even to marriage because eventually, you know, some of these people, some people get married. And so how do we sort of find that, um, that line of compromise in terms of what we look for in a potential, you know, mate, spouse, companion. And so um, when I saw your post, it brought me back to like an earlier conversation I had about um, a couple months ago in terms of how as a black man and as a man, I see a lot of women take on projects and men don't necessarily take on projects when it comes to dating women. And so um, I always call, I call it my project, my project mentality. Like it's a, um, I've seen women look at men and be like, yo, I'll take this project on. He may not have a birth certificate. He may not have a job. He may not have any goals. He may not have any credit but I can take on this project and bring him up and, and refine him. And I could say as a man, we rarely do that. We rarely look at women as projects. And so it leads to this conflict and this tension. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree uh, on top of that, because I grew up in a family, mostly men, mm -hmm. uh, mostly men. And so I, I my experience that men they pick someone that pretty much has what they want. Yes. Yeah. Maybe not what they need, but what they want. 
and then they are pretty much okay having that person be that same person through the whole entire relationship or maybe encourage them to cater to them a bit more uh, while women we are especially black women because we we grew up with the stick we grow up with our our brothers our fathers our sons in this system so we're very much we're protective we are empowering we we know that the world is against you i re i remember my mom even telling me that when i was a girl yeah we know that you know the world is against black men so we try to make it easier we try to you know uh cultivate and like and that's been my like number one thing uh and my family and my growing everybody like a lot of people in my family is married like i, I know uh, most other people i know um their their families uh, they don't come from home ownership or marriage mm -hmm. uh, marriage is all over my family and like even if you, you got to be married multiple times like i have two uncles that's been married six times a piece. oh my gosh parents, um and my my mom has been married twice most people in my family has been married you know multiple times um but marriage is the common thing like and they're married long time so like i have my cousin who is 45 she's uh in a couple weeks it's going to be her 20th wedding anniversary so and she's and she's been with her husband for as long as i can remember so with I grew up in that as a as a model and then on top of that like my parents like my my dad who was my stepdad um he doesn't have a lot of work experience he doesn't have a, a formal education while my mom is you know a recently retired uh system analyst manager you know with accoutrements out the galore and also like just how she is as a person is very industrious um so i she's very accomplished and financially stable and my dad is not but and at first if you're looking from the outside you're like why is he and why is she with him you know he got these issues but my, nobody treats my mother better than my dad okay you know my mom is a three-time cancer survivor so when she was going through her her situations with cancer and treatment my dad was there yeah care of her hold on she said she i must have like spoke her up because oh, I don't know. <laughs> and, and actually today is my parents wedding uh their 15th year anniversary i think it's 15 or 16. oh wow i think it's an anniversary um because it's yeah 2005 so it's 15 years my parents been together today congratulations yeah. thank, thank you and i will tell them that <laughs> um so the dynamics between i feel like black women are always we're always protecting we're always nurturing we're always building while men are just like yo she got a fat ass and she cooked me some shrimp alfredo and i was salt you know I think I think I think that's the um, the dynamics. I think we play to, to each other's stereotypes at times. I, I think that men men are either 
in my opinion as a man i think sometimes we're either looked at as being over sexualized in which yeah you know a woman can have a beautiful body but i think you i think you said it right earlier where we're looking for i think men look for women that have some sort of motherly attribute and and it may go back to our own mothers and may go back to or even the fact that maybe a woman could be a good mother but you you go i've seen a lot of quote unquote terrible men with good women because they know how to pick pick a woman and be like you know what she has something that is motherly i may be over here doing whatever but she has a quality and a in a maturity that that is appealing he may not necessarily respect it but he finds it appealing and i think within the black and within the black uh, sort of family dynamic the black woman has protected black men since forever i mean you all have been our number one supporters and yet there is conflict when it comes to us recognizing you all and valuing you all as our supporters as black women as our companions our friends our sisters our mothers are are everything and i wonder though if everything that we've been through as a people i wonder if all the hardship all the stress all the environmental conflict all the personal conflict all of the hurt the harm i wonder if all that has contributed to our lack of connection like i know the black men and black women i believe that we love each other i think that that at the end of the day when it comes down to it we will fight for each other but like what's the point of fighting at the end of the day like we should be able to fight in the beginning of the day for each other and at the middle of the day and not just at the end of the day and so um but we've been through a lot individually collectively we've been through some hell and we take that out upon each other and um and it creates a divide and we got to work on that we got to work on that like i think when it comes to when it comes to men and women our our dialogue and how we sort of see each other you know i i did a podcast called um called god doesn't see niggas and bitches and people were offended like or god doesn't make niggas and bitches and people were offended and my whole my whole point was like how do we regard each other when it comes to language i can't i don't want to look at a black woman and be like yo that's that's a bitch because that's not holding her up to a point into a into a and, and really to who she is as a as a man that's not my i have a daughter i'm married i that's not a good look for me personally nor do i want to be looked at as i'm a nigga and so but but that's how we sort of treat each other we treat each other like niggas and bitches and i'm like but we 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 got to heal that we got to heal that hurt and that 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 mistrust that we have with one another that we have to have that transparency when it comes to communications i've been married for uh almost 13 years now oh congratulations thank you thank you and and it's been work you know it's been work as a as a man i can say that i know, i think my wife went into marriage with a better understanding of relationship and in commitment and in self than what i did and in being in my 30s i look back and 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 i wonder like if if my if the pain of what i went through from years back 
if the pain of even pain that I didn't even know that I was going through um, historically, even before I was on this earth, if that contributed to my lack of identity as a man, I think I think men have so many frailties when it comes to, and this is something we talked about, our masculinity, so many frailties when it comes to our our um, our overall person and who we are as human beings. That I think that we're that we're fighting and that we're hurt and we don't know that we're hurt and yet we're expected to survive and thrive in this life and it's a lot of pressure and i think black women face the same things you will have pains that i don't even know about as a black man and how do we sort of make it through this life in which we're almost the system has almost made us have to sort of split from one another the system wants us to fight and kill one another but how do we recognize that and sort of move on and grow from that i think it's, it's a tough game it's not easy being a black man and a black woman in this society and yet we're still here we're still here we got and we have to make the most of it yeah i definitely agree um and building on to that even more so is um you, I feel, I like I said, I told you in the text, I have six brothers. And in my experience with my, with my male siblings is that men, men gain more through marriage than women. Mm. People always want to talk about, oh, when a woman gets, you know, a, a, a woman, um, uh, a woman, if she divorced a man, she get half and all of this. I'm like, but in marriage, she done built, and even in even long-term relationships, she done built that man, period. She done supported him emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually. She has built that man. And I see that with my own brothers as, because all my, like, all of my siblings, we're immature. Like... We are immature individuals, but I see the way that my brothers have changed and grown as men since being married and having someone that is there for them, a yeah. marriage or long-term relationship, because I have brothers that are not married, that are in long-term relationships, which are just as, um, which is just as important as marriage. Yeah. Um, I, feel, I feel, personally feel like marriage does not, um, does not elevate the, the relationship. You can be together for 30, 40 years, 50, 60, 70, 80, and not be married and have that piece of paper. But I feel like black men tend to grow in those uh, in those environments. And that's, you know, and that goes with, because I feel like society has emasculated black men, like in multiple aspects yes. have emasculated black black men so uh when you are married or have a long-term relationship you're able to have some sense of responsibility and and you are you have um you have value of course never cut grass and they cut grass right now um so that's you know i feel like that is in marriage at, at a, a, a lot of the my friends that are married that are female 
it's I feel like it's work. And that's what they say. I mean, marriage in itself is work. Yeah. I know that. Um, I know that from from you know experience with growing up around married people, but also I know that um far as seeing my my friend my current friends go through relationships. And another point I wanted to make is that I feel like us as black people, especially millennials, we are healing the crack generation. Absolutely. We're healing the crack generation. Absolutely. We're healing the, our parents, and not just the crack generation, because that would be technically Gen Xers, but also our parents, you know, our, our parents who are, you know, uh, most likely two generations above us, because that crack era decimated our community. It decimated us socially, politically, spiritually, mentally. All of it, yep. And so, like, we are, I am surrounded by not just my, my male siblings, but also the, my male friends of men who are, they didn't have the examples. Yep. They just are doing the opposite that they, uh, that they received in, in their childhood. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. The way I'm seeing men uh, grow and, and it's amazing to see. And so I fully believe that through this healing that we're going on with Gen X, uh, with um, millennials and Gen Zers, is that we can heal our community. We just have to be tenacious and we have to realize that the agenda is to to not only separate us, but to use each other, use each other to attack. Yeah. And that does nothing but break down a community. So as long as we realize the agenda and stand strong in what we're doing, I, I, I'm, is the saying, I'm part of the Hoover movement and uh, under the leadership of Chairman Omada Yeshatella. So he always, you know, liberation in my, gen in, in my lifetime. Yeah. And one of those things is liberating the uh, the black family, black love, and I feel like that's something that's going on right now. Yeah. Yo, I, I think um, marriage is marriage is different, man, and marriage is difficult. And I think when it comes to marriage, and, I, and I'll speak for you know some of the men that I know that are married. Oh, you broke up. Oh, did I break up? Am I am I back? You hear me? All right, do you hear me? All right, do you hear me? Oh, uh, my connection. Yeah, my connection is saying, okay, there you go. Okay. <clears throat> All right, let me see. Um, Make sure that we're still recording. Okay, cool. All right, I think that um, I think marriage is difficult, and I think that marriage is one of those things. That it's it's an unexplained. Oftentimes, it's unexplained, and I think that we hear, not that we hear. I don't want to say that, but I think the vantage point of women is discussed a lot more when it comes to marriage. Men are pretty silent on the on the vantage point. You know, like like to get a man to talk about marriage. 
got to have like some sort of code, you know, you got to crack the safe and talk about it in a way that's not sophomoric and talk about a way that's real. That's real. I can count on my, on my hand, the amount of men as a married man in my, I've been married for, for 13 years as a married man um, that's been with my wife. I mean, we've been, we've been together since 2003, 17 years. I can count on my hand the amount of men that, that, that were real to me about marriage, that were like honest. And especially in the black community where we're taught almost that you have to drown in order to get any help. Like you, like part of our, I think part of our hurt is that we have to, is that we embrace the struggle so much as if the struggle is glory. And that we have to, we almost look to each other to, in order to receive any help, you have to either dag on, you have to drown in the situation or come very close to drowning and then we'll help. But until then, don't call us. And I think that, um, that when it comes to marriage, there's so much that's unsaid from a, from a male perspective. I didn't really know, I didn't really tap into my feelings when it came to marriage until my 30s. Hmm. You know, I, di I didn't know how to tap into my emotions, tap into my insecurities tap into my strengths. I, I spent my 20s being married, just irritated at life, mad at life, mad at myself, mad at God, mad at mad at my spouse, mad at, and really all of, I was just angry with self. And it took going through all that hell in order for me, in order for me like to see that I have some purpose here. I wonder how many men are going through like a secret hell and which is like, you don't know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, how are you gonna find yourself? I do think that, that women are, are some of the best teachers of men. And, and I say that not excusing male behavior, but we've been raised by women. Women are, are, women are very intelligent, are very driven, are very passionate, are very compassionate. Are very, they're, they're, you all are, are our heroes, even though we may not say it as much as we should, our heroes and our models, and including we have some male models, but as you mentioned in the black household crack era, it hit our community hard. So our closest heroes are really our the women that we have in our community. And yet and still, you know, we don't we don't know enough about ourselves, I think, as 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 men. And, and we don't communicate our pains enough. I think if we communicated our pains to black women and, and, and our, our insecurities and, and our hurt, we, went, we go through trauma to a marriage. We just don't necessarily talk about it. We internalize it. And, 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 and black women have caused us trauma, you know, and, and, we don't, and we don't talk about it because it doesn't, because we have to go into that place of, Oh my gosh, I feel emotional. Oh my gosh, I feel insecure. Oh my gosh, this does not feel right. Therefore, I'd rather talk about LeBron James and the NBA because I don't want to talk about what's going on in my own life. And so there's there's almost an undiscovered, unheard of voice of black men that this world needs and that our community needs when it comes to relationships, marriage, just in general. But we have to be willing to talk about those insecurities and those just tough moments 
though, because because it's looked at as if we don't have them, or if we have them, they don't affect us as much as what they do someone else because we're not talking about it. Not every day, we go every day. There's something, but we internalize it, and so. That's how I sort of see, I, I think it's an unheard of voice from black men that we just don't communicate and we should because it, it, we don't communicate from our heart, we communicate from our minds. And we're missing that heart connection with black women, with black men, we're, we're just missing it. Yeah, I definitely agree. So, I mean, with this, I feel like it's just natural to go into the conversation we were having about the fragility of black masculinity and, um, you know, as I mentioned, like as as a as a sister, as a daughter, uh, and you know, as a niece, as a you know, um, pseudo parent of a of black men, I feel like black masculinity is always questioned. Yeah, a black man can't wear lip gloss or not even lip gloss, lip balm. He can't; his lips can't even be moisturized That's without. Terrible you know, a homosexual characteristic. Um, more specifically, we were talking about the guy who had on a, just a regular clothes and then put on a tutu for his daughter and how that is considered, you know, black men are like, hell no, nah, I ain't wearing that. I ain't wearing a dress. I ain't, I'm not, uh, I'm not wearing a, uh, that's gay. I bet you do, you know, da, 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 da. And now I'm like, that is being a good father. Yeah. Coming yeah. from a black daughter, that is being a good father. And it doesn't have anything to do with showing her femininity because at, at three, four, and five years old, you really don't have any type of gender identity, kind of. You know, you're, pre you're pretty much, you're just a kid at that time. You're just absorbing your environment. And the and only thing you can think of is, I want everybody to wear tutus. Yeah. And it's not, I, I want dad to wear a tutu or, you know, it's, you don't have that idea. And so I, I want you to, you know, go into like, ex, you know, go and discuss that for me uh, about how you feel about the fragility of black masculinity. I think it's. I think we hit it on a couple folds. I think. I think when it comes to black, the fragility of black masculinity, we get it from both black men and black women as to what is masculine. You know, um, if if, and I think we get it early. I think we get it early when it comes to let's let's go back even in middle school. If you're a black, if you're a nice black guy, a nice black kid in middle school, from what I've seen. And I'm not saying it's, 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 it's completely broad brushed across every board, across every, you know, every school. But we, but our communities and our kids at times glorify the thugs. So automatically, not automatically, but like some, systemically, the drug dealer in the community or the man that has multiple women is uplifted by both black kids black boys black women and and i think at that point of middle school which you're trying to find your identity not only as a black boy but also as a black girl that image 
plays into where we sort of see ourselves now. I think from a black male perspective, um, black masculinity is frail because we're, we're, we're taught so many bad behaviors by society, by black men, by black women. And I think right now, black masculinity is almost has to go through a, um, a renaissance in which I think it is going through a renaissance in which you sort of have to define your own black masculinity. If you're the father wearing a tutu, I believe that, yeah, you'll be talked about by black men, but believe you'll also be talked about by some black women too. Because I was talking uh, to, to one of my, uh, to a good friend of mine, actually my business partner too. We were talking about like the emotions of black men and how the, the, the notion is that we should be emotional creatures. And yet sometimes when we show emotions, it, it comes off as if we're out of, as if we don't have control or we're not as masculine even to black women and so if we can't be emotional creatures which we are if we can't be transparent amongst each other whether it be black men or black women where can we be and so black masculinity almost has to go through a renaissance how do we see it with self um my my how I view my how I view myself as a black man in my 30s being 36 is a lot different from when I did when I was 20, 26, 27, 28. I'm more secure in self of who I am as a black man now than what I ever was back then because I define who I am as a black man. If I have a, a seven-year-old daughter, if um, if I go shopping with my daughter, which I do often, I know that's not necessarily looked at as a masculine part of black of being a black man. If I'm buy, if I buy my daughter undergarments, which I do, because she is a young black woman, a young black female, that's not necessarily. I, I I've been talked about, like why are you doing this? What what is? If if I take value in in my daughter's clothes, which I do, and what she wears, because I want her to dress cute because it makes her feel good. That's not necessarily as as valued high in my community but it's something that i know i need to do because as a as her father i know i need to do that and also it gives it, it it's it's value for her she needs to so she needs to know that i am willing to invest in who she is as a young black female and that i have value in this and so black masculinity is just it's frail, but it can be structured and it can be strong if we identify it not necessarily as a as a whole in terms of this is what is black and masculine and this is what you need to do. You need to be able to fix cars and lift all the heavy stuff and you need to be able to fight and and you know, all those things that that were taught early. You gotta be able to rap. Um, you know, all those things, you know, that, that were that we're sort of taught and bombarded with. Yeah. As opposed to, you know what? I'm a black man that likes to shop with my daughter. I like to, you know, I like to play football with my son. I give my kids a kiss every night. I'm going to mess up and I'm going to screw up and say some things I shouldn't say, but I'm also going to apologize to them for it because I'm a black man. I have to define my own black masculinity as opposed to letting society, letting everybody else paint it for me. We have to get to that point. I definitely agree. Um, that systemic ideology, as I mentioned before, I feel like the 
the ability for a black man to be masculine is a very narrow perspective. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm glad I had, I grew up around men, strong men, independent men, you know, um, I, I never had to look up to the thugs. I never had to look up to the drug dealers. I mean, I, a part of that is because I didn't grow up in that type of environment, but for me as a, a woman, I'm, I'm single. For me as a single woman, my views are polar opposite of my friends, you know? Um, when they're like, oh yeah, you know, uh, I don't, I like, I've always liked the nerd. I've always liked the good guy. And I feel like in our society, that wasn't really all the nerds, you know, the people that are attracted to me were afraid to be themselves because that's what they think that I would want. And I'm like, no, I want you to be your true authentic self. If you like, and I'm an anime watching book, yeah, yeah. avid book, you know? So I want somebody to match that. I don't want to have a thug. I don't want to have that type of a person into my life. I mean, if you are, and I always joke, I, I, I don't know if you've seen that pose that I joke, joke like I give up on nerd. I, you know, I give up on the good guy. I give up on the nerd. I'm about to go get the thug. And I think for the most part that, you know, reason why we had those figures that are uh, preferred is because those are the ones that were state, you know, not, I shouldn't say stable because being a drug dealer is very much a fragile, yeah. very traditional short term thing and it may not be profitable um really it may not be profitable but we see but we see them spending money we see them uh, pro providing for their community providing for their family uh, we see them being protectors and warriors out there. and that i think that's the why reason why it's so attractive to do that because it's like I can't defend myself against white power, but I can defend myself against my brother who is, you know, uh, challenging my manhood over here. I can't, I can't face the police and, and, or the prison system, but I can face my brother who is, you know, stepped on my shoe or whatever. And we, and we bring that residual anger into our relationships. So I definitely agree with you on that. Um, I, I do want to go ahead and go into something whole, not totally different, but I want to discuss toxic, toxic femininity. Okay. How <laughs> and um, how you feel about you know what are things that you feel are toxic? You know what are uh, some toxic feminist, uh, feminine uh, characteristics, and how you feel about about the which is controversial because women we've been discussing we've been leading the social um we've been we've been leading the social discussion so far and it's always been misogynoir uh you know uh frail you know fragility of black masculinity why black men just can't be men type situations but that in itself to me is toxic femininity so how, how do you feel about that no i think i think the term i think Toxic femininity is a tough term because 
you know, I don't think that, uh, I think whatever we sort of define as femininity, hold on, how am I gonna say this? I think, I think one of the most beautiful things about a, about a woman is her femininity. It's her just being female. And so I think that there are, I don't attribute the toxicity to the femininity as much. I, I think, I think, I think a lot of our toxicity is environmentally, is, is taught socially, and I think it gets attributed to, to our gender, you know, whatever it may be. Um, I think that when it comes to black women, and, and this, you know, I think, I think still both, but when it comes to, uh, to black women, our black women support black men and do such a wonderful job um, supporting and loving, but I think that um, that our hurt, that that the hurt of black women, and that one that mirrors also the hurt of black men, I think once again it leads to it leads to that divide that we have between black men and black women. That the I don't want to I don't subscribe to the notion of being an angry black woman. I I, I don't I don't subscribe to that. I, I think that. Because if anything, if you're angry, there's probably a reason that you're angry. And it goes back to your hurt. It goes back to a, a place that hasn't been healed. Um, and so, but I, I, I do hope that when speaking to black women, that black women can have an ear and an eyesight and just an inner vision to see that black men, yo, we're not, we're not what, what people say we are. You know, we're, we're more than what people say we are. We're more than just, than just you know, men that like big booties and, 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 and they like, you know, we're more than that. We, ha we have just as much depth as you all. And we may not discuss it as much, but we have, we have the same emotions. We have the same insecurities we have the same experiences good god we have the same experiences and we both endure the same type of hate within the society and so i would challenge you know my black sisters my black you know women um to see us not as what we're painted to be but have the conversation or be willing to hear and talk to other men and in and also men have to be, you know, transparent to have these conversations in terms of who we really are. We're not, we're not what society paints us to be in the same way that black women are not what society paints you all to be. There's a richness and a depth that we each have that, that we don't even know because we're taught not to look at it. We're taught to see each other as a broad brush. We're, we're taught to, to, if you're not doing this, if you're not, if you're not a rapper, then you're not, if you're not a thug, if you're not, if you're not, um, if you're not twerking on stage, if you're not, then we're, we're, we, we put on so, yo, I mean, listen, I mean, if you're not a, if you're not a bad bitch, you know, and, that, and that's, that's, so, that's so true. It's so true. And, and, it's, it's within our language. I think our language is a direct um, sort of correlation to our heart. 
Why would you want to be a bad bitch? And, and, it's, and it's, I've had this conversation so many times in which is, a bitch is, is, is empowering. We've drained the toxicity from the word. Out of every word you can use, that's the word you use. Like even for for you know to be a nigga, like out of every word to use to describe a black man, whether you're a black man talking to a black man or a black woman talking to a black, like out of every word, this is what this is the word that we value. Not, those aren't the words that we should value. Those are words that were given upon us by white people who were trying not to be like. We're, we can create our own language. That's the power. We can create our own language. That's a whole other subject. But like. But how do we, we are so, we have, we are, we have so much more depth. We hurt too. We cried too. We collapsed too. We, we, we go through hell too. We're not happy too. We go through depression too. We have anxiety and stress too. We, we, some days we don't feel like waking up too. Some days we're trying to figure out, we, like, I think black men, and not all, but some I've been around, we look to, uh, to black women as almost a model of, man, if I could just get to that level. Like, we, I think we do hold you all in high regard. We may not say it, but, like, I know within my marriage, I, I, I would look at my wife and be like, man, if I can get on her level. And I spent so many years trying to play catch up in my mind that I didn't even realize that, you know what? She doesn't care what level I'm on. We're actually on the same level anyway, but I always felt like we were playing from behind. I think black men have a play it from behind mentality because we're taught by society that we're always behind. We are always the behind. And so we're always trying to play catch up to a place that we're all, we're, we're trying to play catch up to where we actually already are. Mm -hmm. And so, I want to encourage black women to to see us as to see us in our best possibilities, but also see us for for the richness of depth that we have and our emotions and and our experiences that we have too. Like we're we're not we're not that we're we're a lot of things, but we're not totally that. We're not absolutely whatever society is telling us. Gosh, man. Look, again, I'm a part of a horror movement, so like <laughs> when somebody's speaking and put down, you know, jewels like you're doing right now, we like, oh, horror, yeah, freedom, liberation, that's right. Come it through. <laughs> we have so. to, we have to liberate ourselves. And 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 I, I was said on my podcast the other day, like we're always looking for help. But what we need to realize is that when we arrive, help is not on the way, help is here. Like there's help in this conversation that we're having right now. Like we don't need to look elsewhere. When is, when is enlightenment going to come? And you no know, inspiration is whenever we arrive. And if we saw each other, if we saw each other in the same way as when a black man and a black woman comes together, help is here, change is here. Our healing is here. Man, we would take over. Woo, man. Yeah, we would do so much. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, I want to go ahead and because I know, you know, this, you know how Zoom is. You got a certain amount of time. But I'm going to go because, you know, my podcast is a book podcast yeah. and for black readers. 
So first, what was your favorite book growing up? All right, so I'm a weirdo, right? So my favorite book growing up was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And people, yeah, and, and, and I know it's flawed. I know it's flawed, but, um, and I know there's controversy around it, but I was, I've always been attracted to black leaders. My father would make us watch Roots and read Roots. And though I didn't appreciate at the time, I get it now. And so Malcolm X was always a, um, a character that I identify with because of his transitions through life. I model that now, which he had to find spiritual enlightenment, but then he had to endure chaos or no, he had to endure conflict and he found his voice. And then, and then he continued to grow as a man and expand his vision. And so being a man in my thirties and not far from, from, from the age in which Malcolm was assassinated, I can identify his, his journey of enlightenment because he didn't get it to start off. He didn't, he didn't, he had to grow into his vision. And- I disagree with that. Hmm? Go ahead, Just go ahead. Because his father was a Garveyite. He his was. Father, even though his father passed away when he was young, his father was a Garveyite and planted that seed. Now, he was cultivated later in life. Yes. Somebody caught her on that. Yeah, yeah. His his father was a Garvey, and I agree. I, I think, I think it was in him, but I think he had to see it. You know, he had. Mm -hmm. it's, I think. I think that's. I think that's with a lot of us. Like it's in us, but do we see what's truly in us? You know, and and I think that he had to go through the steps. He could. He did not abort the steps. He had to go through the steps and and find it. And I, and I admire that people that find their voice people that find their path and so that was that's one of my favorite books i can i read that's one of those that i reread often that one um i read that's one of my favorite books yeah growing up that was it yeah so like um some of my favorite books are um in that context are um i would say I, it's four so it's um the autobiography of Malcolm X, that's one of the books that I have no matter what. Like, I've lost that book, lent it out to people, and I have to go buy another one. If I, if I don't get it, I have to I have, to have it. Uh, Revolutionary Suicide by Dr. Huey P. Newton. Good one. That's, and then uh, One Africa, One Nation by uh, Chairman Amali Eshatella of the Uhuru Movement. Okay. And uh, Taste of Power front by Elaine Brown. Those are my like core books. Of course, I've read so many others, but those are the books I constantly go back to. And so I, it's so interesting. You said Autobiography of Malcolm X was, was your favorite book growing up because that was mine too. Um, that and uh, Black Boy. That's a great one. Yeah. I'm trying to uh, black boy, I, and that was introduced to me at a very young age. Yeah, <laughs> I was—I think I was in the second grade when my grandfather would, you know, salute me, black boy and native son. Yep, yep. And I was like, you know, now that I'm, you know, 37, it's like, what? Do you do? And my grandfather knew exactly what he was doing before he passed, you know. 
So that's very interesting. Now you stated that you are a librarian and so you very versed in, you know, books. What books, you know, we talked about, you know, the fragility of uh, black masculinity. We talked about, you know, toxic femininity. What books would you recommend for uh, a black person, uh, you know, uh, a black person or a woman, person of color and cultivating their own self, their own social identity, their own political identity, their own spiritual, mental identity? You know, I, I go according to, um, I've learned from a little bit everywhere. I mean, a book in the past seven years that, that changed my life in terms of how I see myself was uh, Iyanla Vizat's, um uh, piece from Broken Pieces, um, in which I had, in which essentially it's about how she had to find peace from the broken pieces of her life, and and at that time my life was broken into pieces, and so I spent like a lot of self I spent a lot of time in the self help. When I go to a library, I go right over to the section of self help, which is 153 between 150 and 155. Um, self help religion are all within the same sort of category. Um, and then going over into black history, which I believe is like 323 on the call numbers. And like, yeah, I, I, that's how much I'm, I'm into the library like that. Um, because there's always, I, I don't wanna limit our, I think we can use various books and tools to sort of guide our identity. I, I, I've read books on architecture and I've picked up you know, tools and principles of building self through building of buildings. And so I think that if we pursue knowledge, uh, if we pursue um, knowledge and sort of a sense of self, I think whatever we read, whatever we sort of take in, we could take in positive attributes and principles from pretty much anything. I was reading, um, we have a, a, a program called Reading Buddies in our library in which we read to kids between kindergarten and third grade. I was reading one book about a kid that fell down and he was crying and, and how he had to pick himself back up. And as I'm reading to this child, I'm, I'm taking lessons for myself. Like, like, how do we see every moment is really a teaching moment. And so as a, as, as a library worker, as an educator, I try not to limit where our knowledge comes from. Um, I am big on documentaries too. So I always talk about books being, you know, as a library worker, but also tap into some of those documentaries. There's, there's, there's um, a couple I could recommend just offhand, um, Free Angela and All the Political Prisoners. One of my favorite documentaries about Angela Davis, who of course, Angela Davis is Angela Davis. Um, and so, yeah, I can't, I, I can explain more, but we all know. And, um, and also there's another um, documentary called Pray the Devil Back to Hell. And it's, and it's about the women in Liberia, uh, Muslim women and Christian women coming together to pray at the fish market to stop the civil war that's going on around them. And those are documentaries that I've, show, that I've, I've watched with my students in the library. I do, uh, I'm also on the after school program in which we have between 80 and 100 kids from over 20 different nations come together after school to learn. And so we watch these movies and these documentaries and these kids will cry and just break down. My students will cry and just identify with it because they're movies that appeal to the heart. Uh, they're true stories that appeal to the heart. So um, so find, you know, find a book that speaks to you and allow that book to speak. 
but also if you're a visual learner, find that movie, that documentary or, or, or that audio book or that speech, find something that appeals to your sense of learning. Awesome. And then, so let's, um, let me see, I got some, I told you I brought some questions over here. So um, going into that, as a librarian, me, I believe as some, as a reader, as, um, as a reader, I feel like there's not enough books on black love and relationships, black intimacy, and the whole spectrum. I, even as, as a single person, as, as the marriage, to me, the best book I ever read about you know, um, black relationships was the Ozzy Davis and Ruby D book. Like, woo! Goodness, that book was great. But as as someone that that works in the library, why do you think there's so little uh, books available or written on black love relationships in general? It's systematic. You know, I work in one of the largest library systems in the nation, and we struggle to find books of black authors. Actually, no, 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 let me take that back. They struggle to find books with black authors. I don't, they do. Um, and so, and so we, we get into a numbers game in which is, in which is uh, well, you know, we can't buy this author's book because there's not enough books printed by this author or, or they need to have more, um, more relevancy. We'll, we'll, we'll get every um, Terry McMillan book or whatever, we'll, we'll, like we'll do like the, the standard sort of black authors but we won't go into anything of, of, we won't go to that next level or to that next level of next level and actually spend some time to research new black authors. And so I think, I think that the people, black people have to demand and hold our libraries, our systems accountable to getting more authors, not only black authors, um, uh, authors of people of color, but also more local authors. It, when you go into a library nowadays, it's hard to find local authors. And, and so if local authors aren't being represented, whether they are black, white, Asian, whatever it may be, then what are we really doing as a library system? And so we have to use our voice to not only demand um, that, that these books show up because it's systematic as to why they're not there. It, it just is. We're in America. There's a reason why there aren't black books or if the black books that we have on the shelves there, our black section is urban history, is, is, uh, is urban, um, urban fiction. Yeah. And so, and so, and so libraries will point to, no, we have plenty of black books. We got Hoes and Bitches 3 right over there. You know? <laughs> Gangsta Girl 66. Yeah, like, like, and, and that's what they look at as black books. And we have to fight that. And literally, it's a fight. It's a fight. It is a, it's a fight for your identity. And it's a fight for your representation. And we have to go into it knowing that, yes, we're in a fight. And it's going to take time. And it's frustrating. And it's frustrating when, when, when there are people in power that are more positional than what they are purposeful. And so we have to be willing to take on that fight and use our voice. But also I challenge people, you have to write the book too. Like we can fight for the books that aren't there, but are we writing the books that should be there? 
And so it's twofold, you know, let, let's write the books that need to be in our libraries. And if we can't put them in, in these major libraries and we can build up a library of our own, but let's do the work on both ends. Let's create and let's fight for it. Yeah, for, for sure. Now, um, I was going to say, I have a attention span of a squirrel. I'm so sorry. My, uh, my friends call me the squirrel, the squirrel king, queen because they already know. You're good. <laughs> and it, it totally uh, comes out my brain or I jump into with something like totally different. But um, so I, I definitely agree with you with as far as that. And um, so also you also um, inspire me to go ahead and just uh, let's have a, a discussion or um, let's address it, on my podcast, I prioritize or I advocate for the library system. So I just want to encourage everyone to go ahead and use their library. Yeah. Um, I'm against book hoarding. <laughs> I mean, because let's be honest, majority of the time we're only going to read a book once. Yeah. Yeah. We're only going to read a book once. So I don't understand when people go out and buy masses and masses of books unless you know like i said there's those four books that are going to be a part of my library no matter what and and there's others but also i giving your like giving your voice to your library is important i that's i'm always recommending library books to my library yeah yeah absolutely always like i max it out every single month so you did mention that the book there are books that exist um what are some far as uh, uh books written by as uh, far as relationship and intimacy what book can you recommend man go make a list i'm gonna <laughs> i mean here's here's the deal i can't that's when it comes to those type of books I can't really think of think of any because they are so few and far. Like we almost have to write them, because even mm -hmm. the books that may have been written, they may not necessarily appeal to those in our twenties, thirties, and forties. They may almost be they they may almost be sculpted from like an old lens. So I don't have any books just off the top that I could recommend when it comes to like because they may be antiquated. You know, and, and how, and that's also one of those topics when it comes to like black relationships and black, um, black dynamics that if there is an undiscovered topic, it's that. Yeah. It, it's, it's that. We have to, we have to write, that's why I think shows like black love are so popular because black people, now we're able to, to see it, at least see it visually. That, oh my gosh, people are going through the same things we're going through. And we're not crazy and we're not bad people. And and so we those books, I know they're being written, and I'm sure there's some out there. I'm not I, but I just don't know them off the top because it is a un it's it's an undiscovered sort of section. Systematically. Sure. Systematically. And we have to overturn that as uh in our community, we have to overturn it. Nobody else is going to overturn it for us. We have to overturn it. Uh, when going into this discussion, I, like I told you, I wanted to pull books 
And when I went to go ahead and pull books, I'm like, yeah, I don't have. I mean, I have one, which is the spirit of intimacy. And I couldn't tell you the author right now because I, I left my stack of books downstairs. No. But yeah, the spirit of intimacy. I'll go ahead and put link that into the uh, into the uh, show notes. But you know, I feel like we have to do better with our dynamics, especially for us that know. You know, um, both us that are educated. I know. Uh, I know black men and women psychiatrists and sociologists who can tell. We can have this discussion all we want. We can have the discussion over and over again. But until we put it on paper, until we put our legacy, I mean, even though, you know, black people, we are very much a auditory culture, but we have to put it on paper. Absolutely. We have to go ahead and make it accessible to to the masses of us, you know, um, not and not just in a, you know, of course, having the shows are great, but it has to be a continual conversation. That's a one hour show. Even if you listen to an audio book, that's one. That's an eight-hour audio book, and we have to have functional um, skills. You yep. know, that's one of the things we have to do. We have to learn how to have functional skills with dealing really with each, with each other. That is based off research of uh, of us. You know, I I know tons of people that are. Uh, have you know PhDs in psychology and sociology and are all about being black and therapeutic but if I'm not your patient I still need your help that's the I agree and, and, and we I think a lot of it is that we have to go like you said we have to go beyond conversation like we almost we have to start a conversation but we have to see that next step in, in which we take our conversation and record the compilation if that makes sense like we have to we have to write down our experiences but but we're almost in some ways at that weird sort of conversation moment it's sort of like dating where we're filling each other out and then we'll figure out you know hey do we do we progress do we move forward do we take this to the next level and i think that i think we're almost at that next level in which we'll see in our generation we'll see these waves of books of ah this is what we were going through I'm gonna. In fact, I'm writing a book. Um, and I'll say it. You know, I don't. I don't I, I'm writing a book based upon my 20s, and 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 the hell that I went through in my 20s. And I was looking for a book like, like why do I feel like I'm going crazy? Like why was my 20s so, so chaotic mentally and spiritually? Why was I going through? And I was looking for books. And I couldn't find one that identified with my rough 20s. So I couldn't find it. So now I have to create it to speak to young men and women that are married, that are single, that are college graduates that do the quote unquote right things, but experience, but experience the, the just natural sort of hell of your twenties, the insecurities, the uncertainties. And so we have to take, we have to take back our voice. Um, we have to use our voice. We have to take our voice back and, 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 and let people let people hear it, man, and, and just be, and be vulnerable. I can't say that, you know, be vulnerable again, because I'm not sure if we've ever been there, but maybe reach a new level of vulnerability in which in transparency and honesty um, that will, you know, help the generations 
not only our generation, but generations, you know, be, behind us. So, yeah. So, yeah, I, I appreciate everything that you said. And going off books, <laughs> just a little bit, because uh, you are a Myers-Briggs personality type identifier like myself. Yeah. You go to your, you go to your profile and it's like you, and then next to you is INFJ. I am. And myself, I am an INTJ. So we're close. With, yeah. Yeah. Which is very similar. Um, but those are both very rare personality types. With your experience in life and uh, knowing about your personality type, how how does that affect the way you move in the world? You know what? That's a good question. Um, and, and because I didn't know, I didn't know for a long time, and this goes back to my 20s, I didn't know just how odd I was. You know, I didn't know that my personality type was so rare. I used to, I would be in a group and I would just wonder like, why is everyone else getting this? And I don't see it from the same perspective. I am the one person does not see it in the same perspective. Why, why am I looking at, why are we all looking at this social situation and everybody else is willing to go with the flow? And I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. And so, and, and, and it made me feel like I was odd and not normal and outside, even within the black community, mind you. Even within the black community, like you don't align with this. Why are your views not like this? It made me feel like an outsider. I took that Myers-Briggs test, not expecting much of anything. And when I took it and when I got like, okay, I'm an INFJ, what, what do these letters mean? When I read it, it seemed like it was reading my mind and my soul. And it gave me- A second, this dog, my dog is- Oh, go ahead. All right, he was yeah. outside. It seemed like that Myers-Briggs was, was reading my mind and my soul. And, and it helped me realize that, A, I'm a rare personality, which explains so much of my life of not fitting in, but I'm not necessarily made to fit in because I'm made to lead the people. And so it helps me when I move and when I interact, when, when uh, I, 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 I work a very, um, I work a, I, I do a job that's very much so in the public. I lead between 80 and 100 kids a day. Each day when I was working, I'm furloughed now, but when I was working 80 to 100 kids a day of different nations, of different cultures, different religions, most of my kids are from Ghana, Nigeria, Liberia, Eritrea, Ethiopia, Somalia. Like most of my kids are, are either East or West African. And so I do this each day, and yet I'm an introvert, which doesn't make any sense. How do I lead all these people? But I'm like, but I don't necessarily, I'm not really a people person in that regard, but yet I'm leading them, and, I'm, and I've created a family atmosphere back there, and, and we look at each other as family, and we tell each other we love you, and, and, and we, we create that bond. How am I doing this? Well, because I'm an introvert and I'm a leader. I really want to lead people. I'm the reluctant leader. I'm the person that does not want to lead, but I will anyway. 
And so looking at the at the Myers Briggs, I recommend people just check it out. It's it at least Wait, you have nothing to lose. But like yeah. it, it helped show me what some of my skills are and what and why people don't get it. Why people don't get what I what I have essentially. So um yeah, check it out. Yeah, I'm a I'm a huge advocate. I'm, I, my, like I said, my mom is a retired system analyst manager. So growing up, we had we took the Myers Briggs, <laughs> and not only am I an INTJ, my mom's an INTJ. So the rarity of 0.8 percent of the female population is INTJ. And so INTJ had an INTJ, and that the rarity is like 0.003%. Like, yeah. Um, and for me, I feel the same way about you as being a, a leader. So the, the moniker that goes with INFJ is the advocate. Yeah. So that makes you a great leader. For me, um, I'm the architect. So with my personality, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm that organizer. I'm that, you know, um, I'm that person who, you know, um, in the, in, in the community, I am an organizer. I'm not, I'm never will go ahead. I'm not going to be Malcolm. Oh, wait, I should say, yeah, her, her, uh, I, I can be Rosa. I can be Rosa Parks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I won't be Rosa, but I can be Rosa because, uh, you know, people, may not know that Rosa Parks was a secretary for the NAACP before through this whole through the whole process. She was a before she sat she stayed she protested. She was a secretary for the NAACP had uh, written a lot of their policies, procedures, campaigns and things like that. And that is that is me. Actually Rosa Parks is an INTJ. Also Michelle Obama. Boom. Someone who is not comfortable with the uh, the uh, the leadership profile or public, you know, persona, but is a great organizer. Great, you know, we're able to get things done. So uh, Michelle Obama's an INTJ, INTJ, yeah. you know. Um, so yeah, so I I believe everyone should take that. And also, like I mentioned, the second thing is love language so my mom raised us to know our love language and how we approach every single relationship so do you know your love language what is it and how does it impact your relation your relationships in your marriage and outside of your marriage i used to know what i forgot it i've read the book and i forgot my love language i i do know that just in being a marriage I, I forgot which one it is. I appreciate being appreciated. Like, I don't I don't need the gifts. I don't need the, um, you don't have to buy me a, a, a car. I'm pretty simple. You could just say thank you. And that means, yeah, you, you could just say thank you and, 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 um, and that's enough for me. Like, even when people get me gifts, like, I appreciate the gift. I was having this conversation the other day with my wife. I appreciate the gift but I more appreciate appreciate that you thought of me. Like, like thank you for thinking of me. The gift is like, cool, mm-hmm. but I appreciate that you're thinking of me. Like, because 
that means the world to me that someone's thinking of me the the monetary elements of it i don't care a diamond to me is that's that's beautiful thank you for the diamond but i rather i rather you give me a jewel from my heart like and so um that's just how i'm built i i, I think i'm pretty i'm pretty simple now that i realize it like i'm pretty simple when it comes to words of affirmation and just I, I want to be appreciated for who the for who I am, not what you want me to be, not what I used to be, not what I'm going to be, but like who I am as a man right now. Whether it's my wife, whether it's my friends, whether it's, whether it's my students, appreciate me for who I am. That that's enough in itself. I thank you for being words of affirmation because you stated that as your students, you you all say I love you. Yeah, and that's. You pointed that out as that's one of the things that you, you know, love about your job. So yeah, I, I pay you take the test again to see where I'm you are. It. Yeah, I'm gonna take it again. I got to. Yeah, and that, that book, that's one of the books I, I recommend. I recommend um, words of I recommend love languages. Um, and now it's like a whole spinoff they have love languages for single people they have you know children you know how to you know raise your kids and things like that I just I think that's I think it's phenomenal I, I want us to have some like black or African perspective books like that like when I think about the books I, I'm hoping and wishing for I want some of that I want some cycle psych, uh, psycho social and a little analytical books about things like that how we are as a you know the the nurturer uh, uh, is it the four agreements no it's not the four agreements um it's another book that talks about the enabler the nurturer mm -hmm. books like that oh, i can't think of the book offhand i want books like that for us we do because yep the dynamic is going to be different because the dynamic is going to be different especially for uh black people of the diaspora because we have that people don't understand people outside of black culture don't understand the significance of our oppression they're like <laughs> they're like well just get over it i'm like we can't get over it because it's a is a cloud is a fog it's not even a cloud it's a fog that is surrounding us at all times it, it, it's you know it's funny when people say get over it i'm like well why don't y'all get over y'all's mess so that's what they don't like me they don't you know people don't like me when i'm like well you know you all need to get over it well you haven't gotten over your mess if y'all want to well that's a whole other thing um <laughs> but, but it, it, it's it's you're right it's a fog and in the, in, in the more that we identify the fog i think as people I don't expect, this is me, I, I don't expect America to ever acknowledge black oppression. Because, because if they acknowledge, that's part of the privilege of, of not being able to see it because you don't wanna deal with your own reflection. I often tell my white brothers and sisters, like, you guys, you, you have to deal with your own reflection. This system is not set up for you to look at your reflection and see what you truly aren't. You're not as powerful as, but you have to project that. And your power has to come at the cost of somebody else. That's not power, that's fear. And so it's, 
this nation is just, I, you know, I, I believe in fighting, speaking, creating the movement. And, and I believe in doing that for us. You know, it, it's, I, I think some white eyes are opening up, but there's some people that just want to be blind. And yeah, that, and that's where, I, that's where I am with it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I think the eyes are opening up because um, the uh, white uh, working class and poverty people are realizing like, hey, we got similar things going on here. Like, will they stay open? You know, will, I mean, I agree, but will they uh, will they stay open? That's when when I I've, I've uh, when I go down to the protest, I talk to white people about, and generally they're, they're white kids in their twenties and thirties, mostly in their twenties. But I'm like, this is cool for you now, but when it's not cool to do, because America is still segregated. When you have to go back to suburbia, when you have to go back to to the white people in which you live around that don't share the same values, are you going to remember this moment, or are you going to use this moment to create a movement? And so my question is, you know, to my white brothers and sisters, will you will your eyes stay open? Will you stay woke, or is this is this moment just a monument in your life in which you can look back and say, you know what, I, I went and protested George Floyd and I did hashtag Black Lives Matters and and you turned this moment into a monument. Really, you should just turn it into a movement. So, yeah. I mean, I feel the same way about uh, the, the black community because yeah. um, can we keep this momentum? Can we keep and I don't want to go <laughs> politically. I am, you know, politically, I am a um, in a in a different realm than most people than most people with the consensus. So I don't really want to go into that because I want to keep very, keep very much keep those separate. Like I don't mind mentioning the Uhura movement, my leadership under Chairman O'Malley, but I don't want to go into into that politic as aspect. But I really <laughs> want to go in. I really want to, you know, this is a lot of things I want to discuss regarding that and how we are uh, in this place. But I, I kind of don't. I hope that this is forever. I hope that we are at this change and it's how we perform in this and how we cultivate ourselves as individuals that is going to determine if this is a moment or if this is a movement. Yeah. We have to do a lot of uh, introspective work. We have to look at, yeah, we have to assess ourselves and how we are as, as, as you know, um, so having these discussions, you know, having these discussions on, on platforms and um, things like that. Uh, any last things you want to talk about? I got one other thing I want to talk about. No, nah, no, nah, go ahead. What's the one thing you want to talk about? So a part of this podcast is uh, Coco Caught doing other things. So looking at other things, part of, of life. Um, did you see the uh, Fred Hampton um, trailer? I have not, not yet. Oh gosh, I needed you to see that before we came into this discussion. Um, is this something that you're looking forward to to watch to see? Listen, I would watch 
I am a visual learner, so I will watch a Fred Hampton trailer. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I haven't so, seen it. Yeah, it came out yesterday. And I, because of how I am as a person, my my DMs went, share, share, share. So I, I got that, I got that trailer like 30 or 40 times <laughs> last night. Um, I personally have a little bit of a problem. I think our movies being, I mean, they're already talking about Oscar talks for, um, for Daniel Kaluuya um, with this, which from the trailer, very much so I can I see mean, it. Yeah. But I have a problem with our stories being told on such a broad platform. And this is only because in order for it to be digestible to the masses, it has to be lacking or it has to be um, compromised yes. a little bit. So I am I am looking forward to the movie. Uh, uh, I am I'm, I consider myself I consider myself Dr. Huey P. Newton's daughter. Okay, so um, so the Black Panther Party and I, like I said, um, Elaine Brown is you know Taste of Power is one of my favorite books. I, that's another book that has to be on my shelf at all times because as a woman who you know. I, I don't think there's an argument that the Black Panther Party was the most revolutionary um, and catalytic uh, organization that there ever has been. Yes. Um, we only reason why we have gun laws. Yeah. <laughs> only reason why you have to have a CCW is because the Black Panther Party. They had to make a way for the Black Panthers to to not be allowed to carry guns, so they passed these gun laws. So that's the reason why we have to have a concealed carry, which is a, um, which pretty much invalidates the right to bear arms. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's <that's> well, <laughs> that law violates the Constitution. So um, I, I'm looking forward to this movie, and but I'm also like, hmm, let's let's see how that's uh, going about. Um, I feel like that with a lot of black movies though, and I agree with you where that's why I, I tend to go toward documentaries. Because I think I think while movies are very visual and, and um they're very visual, I think they also water down the actual you almost have to water it down in order to make people take on you you have to it's like baby food. You have to give these people a baby food version of the story in order for them to find A, that is sweet, B, that is good. And when really the story is not sweet or good, it's, it's, not, as, it's not as sweet and it's not as good. And, that it, and so um, I would definitely check it out, but I feel like that with a lot of our movies and with these serious subjects, in order for white America and even black America in some regard to digest, you have to add a lot of sugar to what's the, to what the real is and so um but yeah i mean i'm eager to check it out um because that's a story like many that's that's another industry we have to get into that film industry is is we have to there's a reason why we don't see as many of us in the film industry 
and, and directing these films and creating these stories. And so, yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree. And, and it has to be in a, because like right now, and I, I don't like, I'm one of those, I'm a, I'm a brazen person. So I, I kind of don't, most of the part, I don't care if I hurt somebody's feelings or am I being controversial because, you know, I'm, I'm going to be who I am regardless, you know, and I, I am a, 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 I am a, uh, disciple of uh, Malcolm X, Dr. Huey, uh, Marcus Garvey, Lane Brown, Asada Shakur, uh, Angela Davis. So I don't mind being that, you know, being vocal on this, but I personally am not a Lena Waithe fan, even though she's telling black stories. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely not a fan because Respect, but the things that she says and also her portrayal, like, I don't, she's, she's telling the millennial uh, Zier story, but it's still from a very monolithic point perspective. It's still a very much so, um, she, I feel like she personally alienates herself from the black masses, um, from the black working class. Um, I feel a lot of her stuff is problematic and I feel like right now in society, you can't question Lena Way and you can't question Beyonce. <laughs> Listen, I agree. I, I personally question everything. I agree. I think um, I, I, I I am, I've learned to, I'll say I've learned to appreciate Lena Way and I've learned to appreciate Beyonce, not because of I necessarily align with what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I hope that I hope that their voice continues to their voice and their vision continues to grow from where it is to where it will be. I hope that they go through that same progression that we all have to sort of go through, which okay, if it starts off here and ten years from now, if it's still here, then that's a problem. But I hope that it continues to grow. You know, I, I hope that that in that their enlightenment I'm fans of them as a, as a black man to a black woman. I'm a fan, but I want to see more, and 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 I say that, and I hope that they would say, that they, that they would say the same to me. Like I'm a fan of you, but I want to see more. I, I want to see, yeah, I want to see more. So that's that's where I am with them. Like I, I, I'm a fan, and I appreciate. I'm a fan. I appreciate who you are. I want to see more. I want. I want to see. I want to see more. Yeah. And since we still, and since it's still going, let's. Um, I want to go ahead and discuss. Did you see Black is King? And I think that's what it's called. No, I, the, saw, I saw like twenty minutes of it. Um, and so when I say I'm a fan of Beyonce, like, I, like it took me, it took me years to see. It took me like a couple years to see. Uh, not a couple years. It took me some time to see Homecoming. Because I feel like I'm, a, I'm with Beyonce's music. This is where my hip hop love comes into it. My love of music comes into it. I feel like her first like four albums were terrible. Okay, that sounds strong, but I feel like <laughs> I, I feel I feel like okay. 
as someone who loves music and as a man who loves hip-hop music and i read the album liner notes and i know who produces i know who wrote i feel like beyonce was the created image of people to sort of voice i think she created she's an image that people created and and gave a voice to so she was she was portrayed as being the the songwriter destiny's child and that she came up with all the hits and and all this and yet her her music to me was empty and so i used to tell beyonce fans like that all the time my wife loves beyonce and i'm like her music to me is empty she has hits but she doesn't have anything necessarily that that speaks to legacy she's not speaking to the people i do think that um that lemonade i think that she had better writers and better producers and that she actually i, I think i think conceptually it was a better album but i'm like where are you going to go from here like is is it is is this just your move or is this your movement? You know, is, is this is this what is this what is comfortable for you right now because you see the lane, or is this where you are, or is this where you are, right here? And so, I think conceptually it was a good album. I also think it gave her a platform, but I want to see more. You know, I think I'm I'm at my same statement where I want to see more. I want to see. I want to see you grow, not as Beyonce the artist, but as Beyonce knows the woman, the wife, the mother, the sister, the 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 whatever in the community, the community member, whatever you are. I want to see more. So I don't necessarily hold them in that high regard where anything she drops is hot. No, no, it's. But I want to see more as, as a person. You know, I don't. I don't really care about the artist as much. I want to see you grow as a person. Is this is this really you? And and you're saying that it's really you. Continue to grow it. Continue to grow yeah. it. So, I I could definitely like that. I'm not a Beyonce fan. I'm not not that I hate her because I respect her. We are daughters. Both her and I both are daughters of Ashun and uh, with me you know, being a believer in Yoruba tradition and, you know, the um, Orisha, um, Orisha um, beliefs. For me, digesting Beyonce is difficult because her influence also cultivates confusion. Mm -hmm. And because like, as us, uh, someone who does, you know, as a daughter of Oshun, everyone wants to, when Lemonade came out, everybody wants to be Oshun, you know, everybody. Yeah. And so it was to the point that I was like, I don't even want to be, a, I don't want to be a daughter of Oshun. I don't want to identify. I don't want to, you know, things like that. So I kind of like took that part of myself and swept it underneath the rug. And I'm dealing with that now because I can't keep running from, I can't keep running from that part of my identity. Yeah. Having a running from that part of my identity because I don't want to be affiliated. I don't want to be like I. I am a. Uh, I, I'm a deep person, so I, I I look at everything in a very deep, broken down context. I don't like her music. Sorry if there's some Beyonce. Yeah, <laughs> like it's not my style of me. It's not my style of music. If you listen to you know if I share the music that I listen to and you are, you know, music person, she's like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it now. Yeah. Um, but I, I respect her. I respect her. Um, I respect, I, I respect the visuals for Black is King. I will go ahead and say that. I definitely respect 
those visuals. I respect uh, her challenging um, black people and our our uh, and our uh, the symbolism that we are kind of like conditioned and brainwashed into when it comes to like she had the the biggest thing was the her uh, interpretation or her uh, symbolism of uh, Hathor the uh, Kemetic or Egyptian, you know, people say Egyptian, but it's Kemetic. Kemetic. Uh, uh, God, uh, part of God, Hathor, which is femininity, which, uh, again, daughter of Oshun. So Hathor is the Kemetic version of Oshun. And she has the horns, which. I saw the picture. Not, yeah. Purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Not on purpose, the, you know, this is a deeper symbol for beauty and it has the the horn, the same horn. So her challenging that and being the conversation of was she being demonic? Mm -hmm. And I have so many people that who are conditioned, I, I'm not even going to sugarcoat it. Most black people in, we are conditioned with Christianity. We don't even look at Christianity as being something that predated slavery. Um, one of the books, one of the first books I ever read, my brother got it. Um, in my family, we're very much, we're weirdos. <laughs> we, we, I grew up in a very communal Afro, uh, Af African black national nationalist, uh, family. Like I said, my grandfather in the second grade slid me black boy and native son in the second grade. So my brother bought this book called um, Africans Who Wrote the Bible. He has volume one and two. I don't even think volume two can even be found anymore, but volume one is like, and how the, the uh, I can people, um, which most of us are West African, Black people in America, most of us are West African because we're going to be Nigerian, we're going to be Congolese, we're going to be Malian, we're going to be that's we're going to be West African. So we that is part of our culture, you know. Christianity is part of our culture, but in a different context. We have to be able to separate what we've been taught and what is reality. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, I agree. Um, I think that goes back to faith, and that goes back to knowledge of self, and 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 knowledge of history, and knowledge of um, and really just a, a deeper sense of God, and 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 spirituality, and and how how it all plays. But you know, and and to even go back to Beyonce, and and I think it's all part of the journey. Like how I look at Beyonce now, like. Her music doesn't speak to me, but then again, I don't need it to, because I have my own music that speaks to me, you know? And, 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 and so I've gotten to the point where I don't judge, I no longer judge people. I used to judge people whose Beyonce's music used to speak to them. Like, how does her music speak to you? I don't get it. I used to be judgy like that. I was a hip hop snob, I still sort of am, but I used to be really snobby about it. And now I'm like, you know what? If it speaks to you, you get a different message than what I do. I don't have all the answers. I know I have my music that speaks to you or that speaks to me, but it's just all part of the journey. If this is part of her journey, this is part of my journey. 
then when we meet up, we can discuss. If we ever meet up, we can discuss, you know, the journey. And, and I'm sure I will have a, um, yeah, that's that's how I look at it. Like, it's, it's all part of our journey. At the end of the day, like, this is this may be the beginning of her day. Or this may be the beginning of my day or the middle of my day or middle of my year, whatever it is, middle of my life. But, like, this is all part of our individual journey. And so how are we progressing from point A to point B? And, um, yeah, that's how I look at it. That's how I look at my life. That's how I look at hers. Keep going. Find your voice. And I tell myself the same thing. Aaron, keep going. Continue to find your voice. Do things that, that you know are in you. You're going to make mistakes. It won't be perfect, but it's all part of your purpose. And create love and, and, and inspire. And if people do that, I can't knock them. I, well, yeah, I can't knock them without being overjudged, you know? <clears throat> you said something right on point, which is create love, um, which is, uh, which is, I feel like it's something that we, I think in the black community, we are afraid of love. We all want to have love, but we're kind of afraid. We're afraid to give it, I yeah. should say. We're afraid to give love because we are very much conditioned to, you know, being like, we can't be vulnerable because we always have to be tough. We always have to, we always have to go out and, you know, be the face of, you know, our black community, our black yeah. family, all of that. So we are afraid to give love and I think that that is one thing, like, I, I don't know if you see my post about uh, when I said, like, most people that I feel, and I, and this is where I am with myself personally. Um, I very much dwell in my heart chakra, my iris, my heart iris. So I'm very much there yeah. and all the time. And while other, you know, I, I mentioned, like, while most people feel they go into relationships, romantic, friendship, or otherwise, of what they can get out of it. Me, I'm like, who can I get his love to? Can I pour a little bit love on you? Can I pour a little bit love on you? And I feel like that is something that we we need more of. And it's in not just the black community, but in society, we need more love. But I mean, the reason why I don't I separate the the society is because the the mat, you know, the uh, major influence is there is not uh, a culture of of love. It's not. It's, it's, it's yeah. But love is a weapon of power. So, I and we one of my one of the things um, I had a, a book, and I use this phrase for my. I use this phrase. I, I it would. I guess it would even be my motto. I'm a weapon of of. I'm a weapon of love and power. Use me and to take control. It was in a book of poetry that was given to me, and that has been my motto in life. That has been my mission in life: is to just spread love, you know, to to all to everyone, but <clears throat> most specifically to you know the black community. Yeah. Nah, that that's um. I think what, what I've learned most from working at my job, and like I said, I work with mostly East or West African kids, work with kids that are uh, Christian, 
majority Muslim population, um, kids that have come from um, refugee camps, kids that have had to escape countries of war, kids that have had to go through trauma, kids that are first generation born here that don't necessarily connect with their parents because their parents are you know, born in Africa. And so, they, they, and so a lot of first generation trailblazers. And what I realized is that, and they've told me, Mr. Aaron, man, we, we, we come here because we know we're loved. Like these kids are brilliant. I, I am, I'm a teacher, I'm, a, I'm an educator, and I run an after-school academic program, but really they're so brilliant, they don't necessarily need my help when it comes to academia because they're brilliant. But they come because they're like, yo, I know you're gonna tell me that you love me. And I know that you, that, that when you see me, that you want me to be here. And, and, and so I've, I've used that. I've used that to when I, when I interact with people, I want people to look at me as a vessel of love. Like I want people to know, like, I really care about you. I really care. I care about you as an individual. I care about you and how you live. Even if you don't like me, I care about you. Even if we don't see eye to eye, I care about you because that is something that I've had to learn how to deal with myself. Like Aaron, I've had to learn how to love myself. And so now that I learn how to love myself, I, I, I have a better appreciation on how to love people regardless, without conditions, without, you know, without all these sort of things we attach to love. And so, um, and so love is such an important principle to, to knock down hate, to, to knock down power. There's nothing real great. I mean, love is so great in that regard and so powerful that it should be something that we uh, evoke and that we create. I mean, really create love and make love each day, you know? So, yeah. Well, this has been a very dynamic conversation. We got to do this again. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> crossing my fingers and everything recorded. <laughs> yeah. So, um, are you okay with me posting this to my YouTube? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right now, I am in the process of starting a YouTube, which I want to be more than just about books. It's about books, beauty, Black culture. Um, I consider myself alternative Black culture because I don't fit into those stereotypes and monoliths. And we did go ahead and already discuss our rare personality types, but yes. I. Like we all have something to say. Um, I feel like um, for the most part, people can, you know, um, learn a lot from this conversation that we had. So I definitely want to appreciate it. I'm going to stop recording right now. It was long enough so that is it for this episode i'm gonna have a full episode to you as soon as i can i guess i've been reading so much still um i'm not quite at my reading challenge goals but i'm gonna go ahead and talk about that how a little bit of freak out you know um three quarters of the year freak out um book freak out you know 
based off the reading challenge and reading goals and so that's going to be the next episode and that will be to you very very soon and then I owe you some episodes so thank you again for listening to Coco Caught Reading I hope you enjoyed this conversation that I had with this amazing brother you know he's a good father good dad you know good teacher uh like a true uh baba rising you know so i I really had a good time talking with them and talk to you soon i links in the uh episode description box is gonna have links to um to you know both of our podcast podcast both of our social media um some more bits links to the books if i can find them that we discussed in the episode as well all right talk to y'all later